Howdy folks, this is 5150, and today I wanted to talk to you about my experiences installing the 64-bit version of Synarch Net Edition on a dual-core notebook. Synarch is, of course, a relatively new Arch-based distro running the cinnamon fork of GNOME. I had previously installed Arch proper on this notebook, but when I rebooted into the hard drive, I lost the Ethernet connection. This is not uncommon with Arch installs, but... There the notebook sat until I thought I had time to work the problem. I really wanted to start using the notebook, and I'd heard some good things about Synarch, so it seemed like a simple solution. I did go into this knowing that Synarch was an alpha, so I should not have been surprised when an update broke the system less than a week after the install. That comes later in my story. First, I want to go over the installation in case at some point you decide you might like to try Synarch. When you boot up to the CD, there are three big buttons on the desktop. The first one is Try It. In other words, just use the live CD. The second one is CLI Installer. And the third one is Graphical Installer. Graphical Installer is grayed out, so I believe it's just not finished yet. Otherwise, maybe some, it was somehow incompatible with my hardware. If a network is connected, uh, when, you, when you run the CLI installer, it asks if you want to run an update. And then once the update is completed, it asks then if, for you to restart the installer. Now, it's not going to do any good to reboot the computer and start over again, uh, because, of course, you would lose all the changes you've just downloaded. So what you have to do is go to the menu, and in the search field, type install, and then from the selections that come up, pick Synarch Installer CLI. Now, I've, I've never done the old Arch install that had more of a menu-driven system, but I believe what they're doing with Synarch is very, very close to the old system. Uh, when I installed Arch proper, it had the new uh, one where you follow the wiki, and there's a lot of manual stuff that you have to work from the command line yourself. But on, on the Synarch install, the first installer item is zero set language and keyboard. And this is, you're doing the same thing here uh, that in, it, in any other Linux install. You, you, pick, you pick your local language and you, and you pick a, key, a keyboard setup. So uh, under set language and keyboard, then the first question it's going to ask you is to choose a locale. Now, a lot of people are going to be... Uh, a little confused at this point because then all you have is a list of file names. But if you're familiar with the Arch install, then you've set your locale manually in a configuration file. So most US users will want to pick from the list en underscore us dot utf dash eight. That's as that's the uh, file name in the list that's appropriate for the U.S. And if you've never done an Arch install, you might want to follow https colon slash slash wiki.archlinux.org slash index.php slash 
beginners underscore guide. And well, it's in the show notes, but beginners is capital B uh, apostrophe after the S underscore after the apostrophe and uh, G capitalized. And again, when I'm I was asked to pick a key map, most U.S. users will want to pick U.S. Dot map dot gz. Next uh, selection from the main inst- installation menu is one. Set time and date. Time zone is pretty straightforward. You pick a region, uh, and a, well, it, it was just America, no South America, no North America, and then a city in your time zone. And if you want to set up NTP at this time, make sure you've got a network cable plugged in. It should, at least in my case, it it uh, the installer connected to the to the wired Ethernet automatically. All right, then you and each of these main menu selections, there's there's at the bottom it says go back to the main menu. So the third main menu selection is two pair hard drive. Now in my case, the partitions were already set up, so I just set the file system mount points, and it didn't look like I could test the uh, partition configuration without erasing my existing partitions. But it looks like that's menu driven as well. In other words, you don't have to drop out to a command line and use GDisk or CF disk like you would in the Arch Proper install. Now you're prompted to associate mount points with existing partitions. The installer, uh, first the installer will take a, you know some time uh, to detect all the existing partitions. Now I had replaced the stock drive in this notebook with an SSD and boosted up the memory so I, I've created no swap partition. That's the first one it's going to ask you to sign. So I just said, in my case I said no. I had assigned uh, root to slash dev slash sda2 and formatted it to ext4. And that's because I formatted the drive gdisk and gdisk reserves a small partition slash dev slash sda1 so the first partition in the drive for some of its housekeeping so that's why the first available partition to me was S, uh, dev sda2 and then it asks you to select any additional file, file partitions to mount under your new root so first you pick an unassigned partition in my case slash dev slash sda3 uh enter the mount point manually well you type it in so my case slash home i wasn't going to create any other partitions no var etc and i took a chance and formatted uh my home as butterfs and the reason i did that butterfs btrfs was the consensus when i asked linux on the linuxquestions.org forum this has been a while back now, to recommend the best file systems for an SSD because BTRFS automatically enables trim. Now, I can, f- can configure my etsystab.com uh, to inst- post-install to set up trim on the XT4 root volume, but uh, BTRFS has, has provisions for SSDs and trims right off the bat. Now, when installing Arch pro- proper, I had tried to make my slash dev slash sda3 btrfs but i never could get it to mount but it worked it worked quite well i think under synarch so then you're going to when you pick btrfs you're going you're going to be asked several questions first uh btrfs raid options no it's that it, i didn't have a raid array set up so i said none uh would you like to create a sub volume on slash dev slash sda3 and I said yes on that because the Arch Whiskey, Arch Whiskey, Arch Wiki 
tell what I'm thinking this late at night. ArchWiki says it's better for taking snapshots, and I I named it SubHome and asked for a name. And then it asked me, would you like to compress the data on slash dev slash SDA3? Uh, and, you know, subvolume equals subhome because it, it's got the name on it. And I said yes, because the ArchWiki says not only will increase the storage on my 120 gig uh, SSD, but using LZO compression as opposed to Zlib slash Gzip should improve performance. Then asked me, would you like to optimize data for SSD disk usage? Again, yes. And it'll let you specify, if you know what you're doing, any other additional mounting parameters, which I left blank. Okay, now it takes, takes you back around to assign any other uh, remaining partitions. And you may see se- several partitions that start with slash dev, slash map mapper, slash blah, blah, blah. Those are all the installation media. You don't, you know, that's the, that's either, uh, the uh, CD or the U-Net uh, S USB stick, so don't mess with those. Alright, then we come back up a level in the menu. It says Syntax for File System Mounting. I accepted the default. And then Select Device Name Scheme to Use Config Files. And uh, of the three choices, FS Label seemed easier to follow than FS UUID or Kernel Name. Okay, the fourth fourth main menu step in the installer is three. Select source, and that and then the selection under that is choose mirror. Now, what you're doing here is you're picking the closest repo. And in the United States, the first choice is least web, so that's what I that's what I pick. All right, so you go back out to the uh, main menu. Uh, next next selection is four. Install system. Not much to do here. Just wait patiently for update delete. And you'll get a prompt. Package installation will begin now. Click that prompt and and don't touch the system again in, until you're prompted. I I made the mistake. It didn't look like I was doing anything. I didn't know. I, I was distracted. I thought that I clicked that. Did I not click that? And this, uh, essentially, the, on my first attempt at install, I killed it at that point, and it went on to the next to the next step. And the system, the package. Well, soft the system and the packages, etc., hadn't had never been copied over to the hard drive, so of course uh, I had to start over again. Okay, the sixth step is five: configure system. Uh, part one out under that: Do you want to use HW Detect or Hardware Detect Configure slash Etsy slash mkintcpio.conf? And if in the in the Arch proper install. You usually generate this that file with the command mk init cpio space dash lowercase p space linux, and then that file is usually only modified in the following cases. And this comes from the Arch Whiskey for beginners. Uh, here you need to set the right hooks if your root is on a USB drive. If you use RAID, LVM, or if your slash user is on a separate partition. In other words, if you need to ask, answer yes. Let hardware detect configure slash Etsy slash MK init CPIO dot CONF and don't mess with it. Uh, Next step, uh, USB detected. Do you want to be able to boot from USB? In my case, I said yes. 
Same question uh, for PCMCIA. I've I've got a PC card slot. I answered yes there too. Uh, next, I asked you what editor you want to use, Nano or VI. Yeah, I, I can see Clawtooth's asking right here. What? No Emacs love? Okay, next next step. Create your user. Now, for once, you can type ever username you want instead of first typing in your real name and or whatever you tell it your real name is, and the installer generating a suggested username from that. Of course, after that comes user password, then the host name, the name of the machine, and then the root password. And we, we come back, it wants us, the next step wants us to, if we want to manually edit Etsy slash mkinit cpio.com. Well, if you had answered yes to having it auto-generated above, you're probably going to want to skip that step entirely. You don't have to click on it. You can go to the next step. Well, no, I guess that's the last step. After applying the configuration, the installer will again check for and install package updates. And, oh, no, we're coming to that. Now, unlike the Arch proper install, when I booted the new system, not only did the wired internet worked, I found the Wi-Fi was already configured as well. The system boots to a graphical login and automatically loads X in the Cinnamon desktop. Now, there are there are two 64-bit installs of CineArch, both of them labeled Net Install, and one of them is 600 meg download, which I download. Another one's only 200 odd meg, and I found for 600 meg download first went under the last step after it's after it checks and installs package updates it still had 400 meg of updates to download so i'm not sure the advantage of the larger uh net install but like i said synarch's a little thin on pre-installed apps under office there's just a button to install LibreOffice. only the chromium browser no irc client no or mumble so my first act after installing Arch was to open the man page on Pac-Man and uh, start installing new packages. And to, and to take a page out of Doors book, uh, expect an upcoming episode titled, So I've installed Arch, now what? From the perspective of an Arch noob. All right, now here here's what happened post-install. I mean, this thing ran slick for a week, almost, especially for uh, one gigahertz dual core because I couldn't tell it was any slower than my uh, desktop replacement laptop or the uh, media computer in the dining room which are both two and a half times the clock speed but I really didn't do anything huge number crunching test test video editing anything like that I did connect to hulu which of course is flash and takes a lot of power and it you know it 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 played there you know some buffering because my because of my slow internet but no no real hiccups or artifacts or anything like that so i was getting along great with it and a couple days ago i did an update and uh well i installed uh I'd installed Crossover, WGET, and RSync. It was all I'd done on that day and done an update. But as I understand it, the login screen on Synarch consists of a modified Unity Greeter, Unity Greeter over LightDM. When I rebooted the next day, I had the login reverted back to what looked like the standard Unity Greeter, just like if you uh, had installed Ubuntu on the machine. I couldn't get... I couldn't get However, the uh, 
However, I couldn't do anything to, to interact with the login. Nothing I clicked on worked. I couldn't even get it to take the... Not, not even clicking on my username. So, of course, I never had a chance to enter a password. And then the screen would go black and come back several times. And eventually, I would get dumped out to not a true console because I had a cursor at the top left and I could type and whatever I typed appeared on the screen but it it wouldn't take any uh, commands so if you type login nothing happens it doesn't it doesn't present you with a login prompt however I found I got some help from the Synarch forums thank you Mr. Bias and he told me how to edit my grub menu to get in and the easiest way to explain that is I pick the fail back option on grub select select that with my arrow keys when it comes up you got to catch it real quick of course hit E and that gives me an editing screen then I look for the option quiet at the end of the line that begins Linux and then I delete quiet and replace it with single and then if I hit F10 and these changes are not persistent so you have to do it every time you log in but when it when prompted I can type my root password and then I'm in single user command line uh, mode to connect to the internet on the command line I can type IP space link space set space if zero space up brings the interface up then to set my IP address I do IP space ADDR space ADD and then the IP address and netmask insider notation. In other words, 192.168.0.50 slash 24 would be CIDR notation. And after that, space, dev, space, and then in the interface, and now I'm just going to assume it's ETH0. Okay. Then on this... Oh, Jay Lindsay gave me some help the other day. I had him, how do, you, how do you put in, do name server from the command line? And he said the only way he knew how to do it was uh, put it in your slash Etsy slash resolve.conf. And that's resolve without the final E. And that's that's where you would set a static DNS address. Actually, I found out my uh, router's IP address was already in uh, slash Etsy slash resolve.conf. In other words, said name server and space IP address of my router. And that's a, if I get it back working, that's something I'm going to have to work on because it really should be, if I want to use it any other network other than my own, uh, that's going to need to uh, dynamically get the name server rather than having it static. But what it, I, w- I mean, I could I could ping my router once I'd done uh, IP ADR add, but I couldn't resolve any URLs, and thus I couldn't do uh, uh, do an update from the repositories. And the part I left out and found at the wiki going back the next day is you need to put in IP space route space add space default space via space and then your router's IP address, and, th- and this is what sets the gateway. So I'd forgotten that. Uh, well, really, if you use if you use ifconfig, you usually don't have to, to. I don't think usually have to set the gateway address. Not sure I like IP better than ifconfig. Though ifconfig is on. I uh, ifconfig works because that's what I tried first. Okay, now again, and this was from Mr. Bias on the Synarch uh, forum, not forum. Uh, Hash Synarch 
room on Freenode, and he warned me this is probably going to screw something up. But it's what it's was placed to get started, and he's you run. Uh, just simplify things for Arch. Pac-Man is uh, sort of like well, Pac-Man is to Arch as is App Dash Git is to uh, Debian. So he suggested I run Pac-Man space dash capital R space lightdm dash Ubuntu space lightdm dash Unity dash Greeter, and that's that was going to get rid of all my desktop manager and of course i think what he meant to do was reinstall it afterwards so i did that i i got him out of there and then i decided well i thought instead of installing them back i tried that i uh once but i would try to do the most minimal uh desktop manager possible so i did yaourt y-a-o-u-r-t space capital s Y U A space light DM. See, like, like I said at the beginning, the well, not the beginning when I had this problem, uh, the default uh, display manager for Synarch is based on light DM, so I figured just go with the most minimal thing and explain Yaourt. Yaourt is a wrapper around Pac Man that not only draws from the uh, core Arch repos. It also draws from the AUR. And to find out what the AUR is, you're going to have to wait for my upcoming podcast, So You've Installed Arch, Now What? And those arguments after it, this YUA essentially tells it, while you're installing this, or before you install this new package, bring all, bring all of the repositories uh, up to date and do all updates. So it, it's like... Or, well, which is recommended, saying it, it'd be equivalent to Debian world. Before you install a new package, you do app get update and then follow that with app get safe upgrade. So it does it all in one command, which is kind of neat. Now, after I installed LightDM, the installation told me I should really install LightDM-GTK Greeter. So I did that too. Now when I boot the machine, I get a mouse pointer that flashes a few times and gives way to a blank screen. So I'm still not there yet, but I wanted to go ahead and record this podcast. So tomorrow I'll see if I can't get some help from on the Synarch forums. And if I can't figure it out in a reasonable amount of time, you next may hear me review Manjaro or Parabola. One more thing I learned that also append to So You've Just Installed Arch. If you do something silly, like let the battery die in the middle of installing a package, you will need to do rm space slash var slash lib slash pacman slash db dot lck to unlock pacman and yaart. Okay, that's uh, that's it for now for Synarch. I'll let you know how it goes. If I get it working again, I'll let you know what I do instead if I don't. I really can't complain that it broke. And I do, like I said, I can't admit, the stuff I installed uh, the previous day, I can't, unless there is some weird dependency in there, I can't understand how that would have caused it uh, to break. I think it broke because of an update. It may have broke for other people, for all I know. Okay, I think I know what I did. Before final editing on this piece, 
I caught part of a conversation on Hashog Cast Planet in IRC, uh, which I asked Art V61 to clarify, and he affirmed that it was common knowledge among Arch users that using Yowart for system updates invites breakage. Now, you remember how enthusiastic I was that I could update the system and install new software all in one command? Well, don't worry. You can do something similar with Pac-Man. Just don't update the system with Yowart, apparently. So, I guess a good safety tip uh, for me remembering that I'm a complete arch noob is to use Pac-Man to update your system and install any software that can be found in the normal repositories and only resort to Yowart if there's a package in the AUR or Arch user repository that you really need and you can't find anywhere else. And uh, a rather simplistic view of the AUR, as I understand it, it, it as to Arch as is PBAs are to Ubuntu. Though I get the impression that it's rather harder to avoid using the UR as an Arch user than it is to avoid using PBAs if you want to ensure system stability in Ubuntu. Okay, here's a new section I want to add on called Rants and Information. That Just some stuff I want to get out there has nothing to do with my main topic. Okay, first one's a rant. Why do people who post files for download, such as software packages or ISOs, seem to feel the need to obfuscate the link behind some kind of script? SourceForge is particularly bad about this. I don't understand it. Does it give the host site some added layer of security? I ask because with my real connection, I always use wget or torrent to download large binaries like ISO files. Well, media files doesn't really seem to matter if you miss a bit in the movie, but something that is executable well well it's an ISO contains executable so yeah wget works best uh and well and wget works best with simple direct link uh down them all is great but every time a large binary is interrupted or the connection is broken or if I want to stop and start it to do something else, uh, which is often the case on my connection because an ISO takes several hours. And if it's a DVD, especially one of those big four gig ones, not DVD ISO, not, not a movie, uh, that can take a day or even a little more to download and always gets broken in the middle someplace. But if I use wget with the dash c, which is the continue parameter, I can stop and start that download as many times as I want, and it never fails in the end, even on files that DTA says can't be paused and resumed. So I don't expect to be able to change the world. Just let people know my preference is just simple direct links. Okay, now this, you know, it's a is comes right out of the what were they thinking department this is an article and i want to thank buyer brown a lot of people put this out on g plus today but uh his post brought it to my attention first it's from geekwire.com it's www.geekwire.com slash 2012 slash microsoft dash disconnect dash freeloading dash tv dash viewers and this connect is spelled D-I-S-K-I-N-E-C-T. And you're going to see why in a minute. They're getting cute. To summarize, Microsoft has applied for a patent, as I understand it, to allow them to use the camera on devices like Kinect to determine how many 
people are in the room while streaming i presume a streaming movie not not a dvd but you never know this could be applied to dvd while that movie is playing and they're doing that in order to either charge us more per viewer when they think there's an excessive amount of viewers in the room or stop the video until people leave the room or block the play of explicit movies if the software determines some of the viewers may be children. Now, we know from the 3D images created with third-party software, the 3D models, the Kinect camera is capable of recording normal video and normal images. Even if Microsoft assures the public no images will be transmitted back over the Internet, with the closed nature of their products, can we be comfortable that their software hasn't been exploited by hackers or even by their own employees. And the present for that being a few years back, there was that concern with the anti-theft software installed on school-supplied laptops, whether the employees of the security company were firing it up even though the laptop hadn't been stolen and looking at what students were doing in their own homes. And in addition to that, if law enforcement can compel ISPs to provide your personal information... Do we really think the police will be able to resist at least asking for access to a surveillance camera already existing in a house they're about to enter? And I believe there's no consumer outcry against this uh, practice. How long will it be till every media consumption device has a camera looking back at you? This is literally the old paranoid anxiety that the government is watching us inside our televisions brought to fruition. I hope this gets publicized because in the mainstream media because somebody should be having a field day with this one. Okay, next point. By the time you hear this, either we will be we will have a comfortable buffer of new shows in HPRQ, or we will be desperately close to canceling the show for lack of content. It's up to you, dear listener. If you have ever considered contributing your own episode to Hacker Public Radio, there has never been a better time to take action and post a show. Okay, finally, uh, if you sometime lose your open tabs when launching Firefox, all of a sudden all the, all the tabs you had open were gone, try the Session Manager add-on. And I want to thank ATR for the tip. And while I'm at it, E, you slacker, where's your HPR episode? Okay. This has been episode four uh, for Hacker Public Radio from 5150. You can contact me at 5150 at linuxbasement.com or find my other contact information on my website for now, the bigredswitch.drupalgardens.com. Thanks for listening and have a good day. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.